All right. Hello. It is 4.30 here on KDNK. Welcome to Chemical World. <laughs> this is our first live show, so I'm just kind of getting all the technicalities going. I wanted you guys to hear the song, so love it in the background lightly. I am Kenna Crampton, and I am joined in the studio with... Maggie Seldeen, founder and director of High Rockies Harm Reduction. So excited to be here live in the studio. I told someone today, I said, it's going to be live, so it'll be good. I don't know what that means, but it'll be live. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, that's all that matters. We're really excited to do this live. Like we said, we usually we usually pre-record it and um, do all the editing and all of that. And so it's exciting to have this be live. So it's today, May 9th. We're here in the studio. <laughs> so just bear with us as we're not used to having to say things right at the perfect time. But uh, yeah, we're excited to be here for another wonderful episode of Chemical World and, you know, do it a little bit more off the cuff. I think the beautiful part about Chemical World is just bringing in naturally the great info and insights that Ken and I have. So, you know, here on Chemical World, um, we talk a lot about chemicals and how they interact with our world. Drugs are a big part of our culture and society, and they always have been. I've been reading a really cool book, and I'll probably talk a lot about that later, but I thought we could, you know, talk today a little bit um, about why we as a society use chemicals and throughout history and the evolution of humankind, there's been lots of good and bad reasons for humans to use chemicals. But really, I think one of the biggest themes of what we talk about here on Chemical World is using mind-altering substances as a way of coping or self-medicating or straight-up medicating with your doctor for our mental health and emotional issues. Yeah, I think that that's where our addictions are, at least mine. Like That's why I use or used in the past um, was to cope with emotions that I didn't know how to deal with. But um, as we were just talking before we came on the mics, that, you know, there's so many different reasons why people use and um, different reasons why people become addicted. Sometimes people become addicted just because they're using a substance that's addictive. Whereas, you know, I felt like I was a lot more like intentional, like I did not want to feel the things that I was feeling. And so I wanted to use as much as possible as much of as possible. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's interesting because I feel like I didn't have that insight. And like in retrospect, it's so obvious to me that my substance abuse and alcoholism was, yeah, coping with this discomfort in my own skin, this discomfort in my own life, and even like this lack of control, especially as a teenager. So I was actually thinking about you the other day because I was at Basalt High School, and that's the first place I ever remember seeing you. I remember (laughs) it was Battle of the Bands, and you looked so cute in your pigtails, and we we like got together over, we both didn't like water. That was our thing that we clicked over for some reason. You were like, yeah, I don't like water either. And I was like, that chick. Um, and But I just, you know, it's interesting because there's so much I didn't know about you and your life then. And I look back at it now and it's like so obvious to me the pain we were going through and why we were acting that way. But like I didn't even have any idea, you know. And just mm-hmm. I think one of, one of the things about mental health is it's so hard to really have conversations about it even with with people who are close to you yeah and, and especially when you're that age and and your hormones are already like 
you're already feeling so many things that you've never felt before anyway. And then on top of it, all of this pain and anger that you have no idea what to do with. And except for maybe just punching walls or people or whatever <laughs> you can find. I also remember that I wrote on the bathroom that um, <laughs> uh, that time at Battle of the Bands and later found out that like it was a huge pain in the ass for the janitor and felt so, so bad. Oh. At the time, I was like, I'm going to be destructive. Yeah, you wrote and then later, heck no H2O next to the water fountain. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> in solidarity. <laughs> I mean, that you, you wrote something else, uh, but the yeah. radio version. Yeah, yeah, the radio version. God, but. that's that's so hard, too, because I think all the time about things that I did as a teenager that I feel so bad about, but then I look at teenagers today and I'm like, but the, it's just the way our brains work you know yeah you just can't you can't put yourself but even then like I remember finding out like the, the next week or whatever that the janitor had to deal with it and it was like man why didn't I realize that and I felt really bad at the time even but at the when I did it I didn't think about who was gonna have to clean it up I was unintended consequences yeah. are a real plague I think in a lot of things I just said that to somebody else about you know healthcare systems and the things that we try to do and just not seeing the unintended consequences Mm -hmm. but I think too yeah that just oh god when you're going through that stuff as as a teenager and I and I still see kids in the community you know today where it's like oh my god you're already dealing with these changes and you just lost a family member you know and it's just it's so difficult to I think you were saying before we got on the air about the chicken and the egg of addiction Mm -hmm. and trauma are you traumatized by your addiction or is your addiction rooted in trauma or you know is this just the way your brain is wired whatever and it's I think when we have teens who are struggling with these issues it's there's just so many layers of that of what's going on in the brain and the hormones and everything it can be so hard to suss out but I'll shift directions but before I do I'll just say you know if you're a parent of a teen or a teen you can always reach out to me and we can have these conversations um but I I really wanted to you know kind of I guess, break the barriers a little bit in the context of, you know, we talk about substances, we talk about mental health, and we talk about how hard it is to talk about mental health. So I just wanted to come on for our first live show and be very open and honest about my addictions and my mental health in the hope that, you know, maybe somebody can resonate with that. Maybe it's helpful to somebody and maybe it can inspire somebody to seek help for something they're struggling with. So, you know, I've been dealing with trauma and mental health issues my entire life and insight is a very interesting thing (laughs) the more and more I think about it I recently have started to get diagnosed with a variety of things that I should have known I had my whole life including bipolarity uh, PTSD potentially borderline personality disorder some sort of I was thinking to myself this morning like what's wrong with me it's called a personality disorder because sometimes like I can't control my thoughts and emotions and it's very, very frustrating. And so, you know, I had all of this trauma growing up and so that's frustrating too. Is it the trauma that led to my substance abuse? Is it this these natural mental health issues? Because, and so the thing that's interesting about insight Everyone in my family has mental health issues. I've known my whole life that these mental health issues are present. And yet I choose, like many of us do in many contexts of of these conversations, drugs, mental health, all these things, to look at people in my family and say, well, I'm not as bad as that person, so I must not have that disease. And I think this has happened to me over and over again in life with addiction, with PTSD, mm-hmm. with bipolar, with IBS, with all these things where I had an idea in my head of what that was and it wasn't me, right? Mm-hmm. So how can I 
be that person. But that's the one thing I will say that I like about the new um, diagnostic manual for behavioral health is that it creates this like kind of wide margin of error for people to experience mild, moderate, and severe uh, behavioral health issues. And so just because you're doing better than that person doesn't mean that you're not in need of help. And also it's like, yeah, I can get by, but if there's the opportunity for me to get by a little better and a little easier, why would I not take advantage of that? Totally. And yeah, we, we mentioned that before, like talking about like what a meth addict looks like, you know, it's like, Oh, you have this idea in your head. So you don't really recognize it when it's in front of you or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, um, when I, I think one reason why we like talking about mental health here and just in general, um, and why people have been talking about it more and more is to reduce that stigma. And, you know, when, when I was going through that, I know like my mom, she tried to get me to go to therapy and I kept feeling like, I'm not crazy. I don't need to go to therapy. And I was so resistant to it and Mm -hmm. I really didn't like it. And I did go to a couple different times, a bunch of different people that, you know, and, and almost every single one of them told me I'm not going to be able to help you if you're not going to open up so you know this is just a waste of my time and your money and you know and they just would turn me away um but when I did finally seek out therapy on my own when I realized that it didn't wasn't because I was crazy well maybe maybe I was a little crazy I'm not well I know we're not supposed to use that word anymore um use whatever word (laughs) is meaningful to you yeah but it's not about that it's just about you know getting more tools in your toolbox Mm -hmm. to deal with these um things that we need to cope with there's always something that's going on in life that's hard to deal with and um you don't always know how to deal with it because it's always, you know, it could be something new and maybe your parents didn't know how to deal with it either and didn't teach you how to deal with it, you know, and because their parents didn't know how to deal with it and didn't teach them because their parents and and yeah. And so on and so forth. Yeah. And I get into this argument sometimes with someone um, just about like, Oh, well people are like so much weaker now they're, you know, they have to, you know, people who are in war now they have to deal with all this stuff and you know, they have PTSD and it's like, there are all these other soldiers that, uh, you know, that went through the same thing and they weren't, you know, needing to cry about it. And it's like, yeah, well, maybe if they did, the things would be a lot different and we would be dealing with these. They would be dealing with a lot of the issues that they dealt with a lot differently instead of just shutting down and shutting their whole family out and, you know, being angry and with for no reason, not knowing why, you know, there's so many families of people who were in war who they just didn't even know how to talk to them or how to deal with it. And, you know, now we're finally realizing the toll that watching a bunch of people being killed actually has on people. I mean, mm-hmm. believe it or not. Wow. That is hard for people to deal with, but, um, it's so important to talk about, you know, our mental health and who, and everybody's mental health because it's, it's hard and it's okay if you need help. Well, and I think you just touched on so many important things there. I mean, first of all, PTSD before it was a clinical diagnosis. And, you know, when we're talking about these diagnostic manuals, these are the same manuals that classified homosexuality as a disease Mm -hmm. until recent history. So we're not putting all of our stock in what these books say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
but it used to be called shell shock. It, it really still today is commonly associated with veterans. And it was, you know, something that was common in veterans before we had a name for it. Mm-hmm, and also, mm-hmm. you know, that idea of comparing, comparing and comparisons. And I have this problem in my life all the time where it's like, well, I went through that and I was fine. It's like, okay, so I'm not okay because I can't handle it the same way that you can. Or, you know, we, we do things like this all the time and compare ourselves to other people and compare other people to ourselves and yada, yada, yada. But two people, imagine two soldiers witness the exact same thing. These are two completely different people, completely. That's the thing about war, too, like completely different cultures. They could be from completely different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. They're going to completely perceive this experience differently, right? And like I'm learning, and I don't think strong or weak is a good word either because mm-hmm. sometimes I think like, like I, I compare myself to my friend. I say, you are so much stronger than me, I guess, because you are able to deal with these things. But then it's like, well, but maybe I'm stronger because I'm the one that lets myself cry and that actively tries to like work on these issues. But I mean, it's hard. I don't, I think that, yeah, like strong and weak aren't the best words to use, right? Neither is crazy. And that's Mm -hmm. hard because yeah, like there is still so much stigma and shame. Um, A quick statistic, the Colorado health Institute identified that approximately 50% of people in Colorado who are in need of behavioral health treatment for substance use disorder did not seek it because of fear of stigma and shame. So again, 50% of people who needed help for addiction didn't even try to get it because they were afraid of stigma and shame. That was in 2015. This is across Colorado. In 2017, that number increased to about 75%. So people are increasingly afraid to seek help. And I want to dedicate my life to breaking these barriers that have been built up between us and the systems that serve to protect and and take care of us. And I understand why, in a lot of ways, people aren't getting what they need and why people are hesitant to reach out. But, you know, the the one other thing you said that I kind of just had an epiphany over, because I hear this a lot, right, that, like, this new generation is so soft, right? Well, this new generation is also the only generation to be born into the concepts of behavioral health and environmentalism. These are new concepts mm-hmm. to millennials, right? Mm-hmm. Or to whatever the even younger. Gen Z. Gen Z, thank you. Well, are we the soft ones or are the Gen Zs the soft ones? I don't know who they're threatening here, <laughs> but um, Ken and I are they millennials. Lump, they lump us all together for sure. I know. Millennials and Generation Zs. but Teenagers are not millennials, <laughs> yeah. for the record. Yeah, yeah. Teenagers um, are Gen Zs. But so, you know, we hear all this, these things about like, oh, this generation's so soft, blah, blah, blah. What's wrong with a softer, gentler, kinder, more compassionate society? Boom. That's what, I don't know. It just occurred to me. Like, I hear this all the time. And like, yeah. I, I even like, I watched The Crown, like the whole series and then got like in this real deep, like winter depression state of like, my life is about duty and it doesn't matter. Even though it was ironic, I'm watching this show and the whole time I'm thinking, this is so awful that they're so concerned about duty over love and happiness. And then a month after watching it, like those concepts have like gotten yeah. into my brain. Um, but, you know, it's like that old school style of like boot and rally and we just work to a death to support our families. And that's all life is like I'm not saying that the, like 
there are benefits to that kind of lifestyle. Like having all these options, especially as women and the Gen mm-hmm. Zers, like that creates a lot of stress and anxiety. But at the same time, like think about, you know, just the atrocities that humankind has and continues to perpetrate upon itself, not just through like environmental terrorism is what I call littering um, or <laughs> but also, you know, just the wars, the genocides that, that continue to go on that are always going on. So what's wrong with being weaker, quote unquote, if yeah. that's what that means is moving away from just all this hurt and pain and, and stress and trauma that we all experience. Yeah. Just a thought. No, I agree. And that's a really great thought. And I hadn't thought of it either. And that like when you're talking about that comparison, that's something that I think a lot of people do as well. Like, how could I have PTSD when the people who have PTSD are people who are at war, you know, and they minimize what they've been through because, well, they didn't see anybody die in front of them or or, you know, whatever it is that they're comparing themselves to. You know, it's there's just that's one thing that I've heard um, from AA that I think is so great. The only person you need to compare yourself to is the person you were yesterday. Ooh. Oh, I love that. Oh, and I wanted, you were saying something too about, you know, just your experiences of being resistant to therapy. And that's like, it's just, I don't know. I, I like, that was me, right? The person who's like, obviously has serious PTSD. <laughs> and it's like, but I don't have flashbacks because I don't know what that means, right? Because <laughs> no one has sat me down and explained this to me. Nobody gave me the checklist that I've done a hundred times now with the PTSD symptoms, right? Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't see that. So, and that's like, you know, there's there's risks and benefits to diagnoses as well because diagnoses may be wrong. People may be put too much weight into it. And so I also think it's like diagnosis aside, like let's focus on the symptoms, but a diagnosis is a gateway to treatment, right? Mm-hmm. But my point was like AA was something that I was like completely like n- not for me. I saw my mom go through Betty Ford and it was a terrible experience and they're going to push God down my throat and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I was so resistant to it. And then the first time I went into an AA meeting, it was like, I was, it was like going home. Yeah. And it totally. was nothing that like I expected it to be. And that's hard too. Like, I don't I just feel like they should put like anxiety just really big at the top of everyone's medical chart when they go in. It's like, treat me very, very kindly and gently yeah. for my first visit. Cause it's just like, you know, I, I told somebody today, I'm like, if you walk into a place and it doesn't feel right, then leave. Like, then you're yeah. not going to get help from that place. And yeah. it's just hard because for people who struggle with anxiety and depression and these things, it can, like, being anywhere can be very triggering. Being in these clinical spaces can be very triggering. Um, I think that the four walls of any building can pose a significant barrier to anyone who's been discriminated against or historically, you know, marginalized and denied services. So that's why at High Rockies Harm Reduction, we try as much as we can to literally physically meet people in the community Mm -hmm. um, in spaces that are comfortable for them. But, you know, that so that treatment piece, I kind of wanted to get to that today, too. Right. Like I talk a lot about how people use substances to cope with reality, with their mental health issues, whatever those may be. Um, But that's not necessarily a bad thing (laughs) and drugs are not necessarily bad like caffeine is a drug and it has good uses in moderation right Mm -hmm. I think we have to always remember like moderation and I always go back to the Dr. Drew quote that there's this drug it's a chemical that exists in nature it's neither good nor bad but it's our relationship with that drug and that 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, there's just a quote from Dan Savage that I wanted to say. He always, what he always says is, um, everything is good in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's, I just think that's kind of, to me, the whole like theme of this show, right? Is that we're not here to say drugs are bad. We're here to talk about the real risks and benefits of substances and the very real mental health issues that drive people to substances. And so in that same vein, and, you know, we've got a crying baby in the studio because that is how we cope these days. That's just, you know, we used to use drugs and now we just use baby tears to get us through the day. No, we're very happy to have Winnie in the studio here with us and appreciate all that her comments. She's piping in here. Yeah. But so it's interesting because we're seeing, especially here in Colorado, where we're real leaders in um, drug uh, laws in general and just drug reform, we're seeing a lot of movement around a variety of different chemical treatments to treat PTSD, mostly things like PTSD and depression, but a variety of mental health issues. And so it's funny because uh, even my aunt in California was like, what? Have, you guys are using ketamine out there? I'm like, oh, yeah, ketamine's like the new cannabis. There's like a shop on every corner. It's just so in vogue right now. Um, and we also – so ketamine is very in vogue right now for the treatment of PTSD and depression. There are a lot of providers across the valley. There's a lot of really cool people who have very holistic approaches and hopefully we'll get somebody in the field to come in and talk a little bit more about that on a later edition. But the the thing about ketamine that's interesting is it's not scheduled the same as drugs like MDMA, sorry, MDMA and psilocybin. Ketamine has commonly been used as an anesthetic in the medical field for decades, but it's not preferred as much anymore to modern anesthetics because of the hallucinogenic effects that it's known to create. And so... People are using it for PTSD and depression uh, in masks just because it's mostly uh, a lot easier to get and use, right? Like cannabis is still federally Schedule One, worst possible, most addictive, most dangerous drug. The problem with Schedule One drugs, which are not just marijuana, but also LSD, peyote, MDMA, um, I want to say crack. I can never there, – there's, things get a little wonky with some of the exact, like, um, chemicals. Like, meth will be in one schedule and Adderall will be in another, even though they're so chemically similar. But regardless, the thing about these Schedule One substances is they're so illegal that we can't even study them. Like, we can't oh, even uh-huh. federally study the effects of cannabis, yeah. which I personally am honestly very confused about. I will just admit, like, I don't know what's going on because I watched this documentary about the National – Institute of Drug Education or something and like it was like this cut from a few years earlier where they weren't growing any cannabis and because it's like there's very like so there's very few facilities that legally are allowed to grow and study cannabis Um, so I guess sorry I'm answering my own question trying to remember what the deal was with that but so similarly like psilocybin and MDMA like it's very difficult to actually even study the benefits of these drugs because of the way they're scheduled However, before that drug scheduling system was put into place, MDMA was widely used in, man- in behavioral health treatment, and there were hundreds of reports about its benefits. So you might think, like, this is new, hippy-dippy, drug culture stuff coming out, but this is actually, like, really old-school stuff. And basically think about the drug scheduling, drug war, as the religious dark ages for behavioral health care. Because literally what the drug war has done 
is cut off addicts from the treatments that would be most beneficial from them for them, cut off behavioral health patients from the treatments that would be most beneficial from them, and created just this entire propaganda campaign against anyone who even uses these drugs, which can have great benefits. So if you're somebody struggling with PTSD, depression, anxiety, stress, mental health issues, personality disorders, whatever, know that there are good people out there to talk to. It doesn't have to be a therapist. It doesn't have to be an AA group. I believe in, honestly, us helping each other at the grassroots Mm -hmm. level. But also there's a variety of cool chemical treatments out there today, you know. And uh, it's funny because I personally, like, have a little bit more comfort in something like ketamine that will wear off than like a drug that's going to take me six weeks to figure out if it works or not. So ketamine, psilocybin, MDMA are all coming out, but it's really like a renaissance revisited Mm -hmm. um, because psilocybin has been used by humans for hundreds of thousands of years to promote better physiological and mental health. And I'll have to talk about that book I'm reading on our next episode in June. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, we're we're running out of time, but I do just want to throw out there the the just the idea that like things are being are, like everything is changing so fast, and things have changed so fast. I mean, especially like for millennials, they can see you know. I was raised in the time when pe- there was landlines and mm-hmm. and uh, message machines and answering machines. <laughs> I can't even remember what they're called anymore. <laughs> um, and then you know, and then we moved into cell phones and. So the people who are being born now, they are born with cell phones. But the way that we're living now is so different than the way that people were living 200 years ago and for the entire Mm -hmm. history of the world before then. Things are so, so different. And so we're just trying to figure out how to navigate them in this, like, how things are changing so fast. And so it's hard for everybody out there to figure it out. And I think that's one reason why anxiety is... So high. I mean, in the pandemic and, and all so many things. But yeah, no, and technology is huge. And it's mm-hmm. crazy to read these books that talk about society's downfall due to technology that were written 40 years ago. But that's my call to action is that we can create a kinder, more compassionate, better society. My name is Maggie Seldine. I'm the founder and director of High Rockies Harm Reduction and the co-host here at Chemical World. You can reach out to me at 970 618 4194 or email me at maggie at highrockiesharmreduction.com with any questions and visit highrockiesharmreduction.com for our full schedule. And we'll be back next month on the second Monday in June. Thank you for being tuned into Chemical World. You don't have to be sober to keep your community clean.